Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. I really appreciate Melanie's testimony about growing and learning the difference, you know, for her from being a performer to being a lead worshiper. Um, Because it's that kind of growth that has to happen in our lives for us to get to the end of our lives and said, yeah, this worked. I I lived a life that was really worth living. And and this is what I'm really trying to communicate with you in this, this series of sermons is about things that we need to have settled and and things that we need to have be just I want to say natural, but it's supernatural, but, but just become a regular part of our lives, how we go about life. Uh, because you, you can't live your life every moment. Everything that happens, go, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. What does God want me to do? Uh, wait, wait a minute, what does God want me to do? Wait a minute, what does God want me to do? Now, I think that should be the attitude of our hearts and our minds, but do you understand what I'm trying to say? We need to get some things nailed down in our lives where we already know what to do. In our hearts, we still need to stay very sensitive and open. Maybe does God want something specific here? So we're ready to catch that when he, when he, when he shows us it. But we want to just get some things in our life that we can just live a sound, healthy Christian life. And for that to happen, for us to live a life that's worth living, we have to nail some things down. And so that's what this sermon series is about. So we've been talking about a life worth living. And we said the, the way we determine if a life was worth living is whether it passes the test of the judgment seat of Christ. When we stand before Jesus, he saved us, we're going to heaven. And we stand before Jesus and he looks at our lives with us and he evaluates it. Right? Did we do the things that he wanted us to do? Did we do those things the way he wanted us to do it? Did we, did we do those things with the right motives? Did we stay away from the things that were a waste and worked? All, all those decisions. And so he will evaluate those things. And, and none of us are going to pass that test perfectly, right? In fact, I think there's going to be plenty of stuff that is going to be, eh, that wasn't, <laughs> you missed the mark there, right? But um, We want as much as possible for the the things we do in life, and especially, I think, a trajectory of progress, right? So maybe when when we look at Jesus at the the first part of our Christian lives and early years and all that, that, well, you know, maybe we didn't know a lot of stuff and we didn't make the best choices, but hopefully as we grow, right? And that's what we're talking about here. Again, if we can have these things just become a, a regular, ongoing part of our lives, then hopefully we can really make progress. And as we look at the Lord, our our lives, it will pass the test. And then remind ourselves that it isn't just about what's going to happen there. It's about now, too. And a life that passes that test is the kind of life that brings the greatest satisfaction now, the greatest sense of meaning and purpose and peace now when we live that way as well. And the world can offer you many counterfeits and tell you there's other ways. There aren't. There really, there's God's way and then there's every other way. Okay, let that, that's a good one to take home with you. Okay, 
All right, so we looked at it in the first week. We saw, talked about God owning us, that we are owned by God, which is a good thing. The world doesn't think that's a good thing, but it is a good thing. We belong to God. He takes care of us, and then we live our lives for him. We're stewards of ourselves and everything that God has entrusted to us. And then we talked about guaranteed success, that if we will trust in the Lord uh, and, and not depend on our own understanding and we'll do our best, that's what we're talking about, to acknowledge him in all our ways. We're learning, we're growing, we're, we're understanding what he wants us to do, and we're making those decisions. He says, I'll get you where, you, where I want you to be. I will lead you. I will get you there. And it isn't, I mean, it's a promise. And so if we seek the Lord, he will get us to where he wants us to be, which really is where you want to be. Sometimes at the moment we might not think it, but there's no better place to be in life than where God wants you to be, even if it's hard, okay? And then we talked last week about the fact that God knows. God knows everything beginning to end, and so it makes sense to trust him, doesn't it? It makes sense to do things his way because he knows. How much more does he know than me? You guys say, yeah, I know. Well, he knows a lot more than you. <laughs> right? He knows perfectly. He knows ourselves better than we know ourselves. And so it makes all the sense in the world to give ourselves over to him. And as you walk through life, thinking about these things, okay, I'm a steward. How, how does God want me to do these things? Uh, that uh, he's guaranteed I can succeed if I'm just going to lean into him, not into my own you know, way of thinking. I'm going to lean into him, do things his way. He's going to get me where he wants me to be. And he knows I can rest, right? I don't have to worry because he knows. All right. So that brings us to today where we're going to talk about your relationship with Jesus. The sermon is titled Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I'm reminded of this song that we sang many years ago, something about that name. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name in, in the, the lyrics that came after that. But what I really want to focus in on today is this, the relationship that we have with Jesus. And you say, well, duh, we're Christians, right? Jesus Christ, we're Christians, yeah. But you know what? We can live our lives like Godians. You know what I'm saying? Godians instead of Christians. And what I mean is we're good people and we think, oh God, but what I want you to see is that, that the Son of God becomes a man, Jesus, and he's fully God and he's fully man and what he did for us and what that means for us, not just who he is, not just what he's done for us, but his role in our lives. So that we walk through life with a conscious awareness that Jesus is with me. He's present with me and it matters and it makes a difference in these different ways. So let's take the Bible and go to the book of Colossians. It's in the New Testament there. Page 1352 on the Bible that's under the chairs there. Paul's letter to the Christians in Colossae. So the Colossians. Verse number nine. He says, for this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask, and he's going to go ahead and, and tell us what he's asking God for them. And, and he's, what he's praying for them is a life that is the kind of life we're talking about, right? A life that 
comes together the way the Lord wants it to. A life where we have the things that we need to do that and we experience the blessings of it. And so as we read these things that he's praying for, I want you to think about these are the things that we want in our lives and need in our lives. So he says this, we do, uh, we do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Do you ever find yourself in life wondering, because I talked about asking the questions, God, what do we do? You ever find yourself looking at a situation and say, oh my, I don't really know what I should do here. Anybody besides me? This happens like at least once a week, doesn't it? <laughs> Things come up and oh man. And so Paul here is praying for the Colossians and you know, it's a prayer for us too, that we would know his will. And, and to make it easier, in this book, we find his will. He says, this is how I want you to live. This is what's good, this is what's not good. These are my ways, this is not the ways of the world. And so he gives us all of that. And then we find ourselves with specific circumstances in our lives and we're trying to say, okay, well, all right, how does this apply to that? What does God say about this? Does God say anything about it? You know, how do I make decisions when God doesn't say anything about it? He's told us how to do that. All right? So what a good thing it is to know his will and not just uh, uh, um, intellectual knowledge, but with wisdom. That means that when we have wisdom, we're seeing things the way God sees them, which, by the way, is the way they really are. So when we have wisdom, we're seeing that. And he says, in a spiritual understanding, so we get a sense of what God is doing and how he's working. What a blessing that is in life, isn't it? To be able to have a confidence, I'm doing what God wants me to do. I can see how he's, this is, is working. And I don't mean we see all the details because you know we don't, God does. But we can see how he's working things out and we have a spiritual understanding, this sense of, all right, God's doing something here. Um, so that's good. Then he continues. He says that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. Well, that's what we're talking about, standing before the judgment seat of Christ, right? That we have walked worthy. We've lived a life that pleases him. Which is what kind of life now? The most satisfying, the most meaningful, the most purposeful, the most contented, the most peaceful. So, but that we may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work. <sighs> Have you ever worked really, really hard on something and it just did not accomplish what you had hoped? Anybody? You done that? Yeah. And so the prayer here. The prayer here is that it would not be our case. When we're doing those good works that God gets us to do, we're asking him to be fruitful. We, we talked about, this is practical, so we talked about, we have done uh, a lot of hard work and a lot of prayers gone into, but a lot of hard work to get this feeding hungry kids up and ready to go because we didn't have much time. It came to us last minute, and, but you know, by God's grace, we have done it. And after today, it is completely out of our hands, isn't it? Once we hand out the food and they walk out the door. And so we want to pray that, that those, that good work that we've done will be fruitful, that God will use it. And I'm confident that he will, but this is what we want in our lives, right? 
Uh, and increasing in the knowledge of God, knowing God more and more, knowing him better, knowing him personally. You know, I think about, you know, Glenda and I have been married. Okay, I'm gonna think. It is over 43 years. Yeah, you start to kind of lose track. Over 43 years. And, you know, life, marriage has its ups and downs, right? It's, it's good times, fun times, hard times. has all of that. But I am just so encouraged and so excited because at this point, after 43 years, I'm getting to know my wife in better than ever. You know, it's just, it's deeper, it's seeing things, understanding things, being able to talk about things. But that is, we can do that with God too, right? The longer you go. And by the way, a walk with the Lord has its ups and downs. Not because of him, <laughs> but because of us and how we respond to life. But those ups and downs, easy times, hard times, exciting times. But as we go along, this I would say, I've, I've known the Lord for, what is that now? Going on 47 years now. And uh, it's just better. I know him better. I know him not just intellectually, but I know him because I've walked with him. I've been through things with him. I've been through some really ugly times with him in my life. I've been through him with him consistently through my own. I don't, I don't want to use any bad words. My own sin, if you want to say, right? But I know him better. And so this is the idea. That's what we want. Don't you want a life where you... And you've probably met somebody like this in life, right? In your life, you're kind of busy. You run into someone and there's just something about them. We'll actually talk about that in the sermon later today. So anyway, come to know, and then it says, strengthened with all might. I want to be strong with all might. Who has all might? I don't have all might, strength, but the Lord does, doesn't he? So I, my strength is, is less and less the issue, and his strength in my life is more and more the reality. That's what we want. According to his glorious power, man, this is not small stuff. This is huge stuff. And by the way, sometimes there are little things in life. They look little on the outside, but they are huge things because of the, the spiritual strength, God's strength that is required to make maybe just that what looks like that little decision. It's big. This is the kind of life we want. For all patience and long suffering with joy. Now, couldn't we have just left that one out? Anybody here say, oh, I love to learn patience. I love to suffer a long time. No, but the idea is in this life you need patience and you need, there's going to be suffering and sometimes the suffering is going to be long, but the idea is we can have it with joy. Joy in the middle of it. And, and what a crazy thing that is. That in, in the middle of the hard times, and I found myself sometimes in the last couple of years here, where, I mean, it used to be when things went south, you know, and big things came, what big things to me seem like in my life, hardships, all that kind of stuff. I feel anxiety. I can start to feel some depression. Uh, you know, a sense of hopelessness sometimes. But again, as I've walked with the Lord and I've begun to experience this life more and more, and I think, you know, making progress in it, what I find now, there's times when that happens. Something like it happens, and there's initial anxiety, and oh, and overwhelmed, and then. Every now and then all of a sudden I go, <laughs> and I smile and I grin because God's at work. And I know it. 
See, and he can do that for us, right? When these, this is what Paul's praying for these believers. This is what we need. This is the kind of life we're talking about. Okay, so let's continue. And, and, and he says, giving thanks, so it's a grateful life. But for what? Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. Isn't that good news? And conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love in whom? In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And then it starts talking about who he is. He is the image of the invisible God. We can't see God as spirit, but we we can't see Jesus right now with our eyes, but he was visible. He could be seen. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or power. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. That means they hold together. He holds it all together. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, the first to rise like we will rise. And it says this, that in all things he may have the preeminence. How many things? All things. That's just not things in the world. That's not just things... In the eternal plans of God, I mean, it's concluded, but it's, that means all things in my life. It means all things in your life. That he should have the preeminence. He should be preeminent in our lives, in every area of our lives. And I want to say to you that when we look back and we see, hey, here's these things, right? The, the, uh, the knowledge, the wisdom, the spiritual understanding, Pleasing God, fruitful, knowing him better, strong in him, in his power, patient, long-suffering with joy. All of those things, those, those things become an increasing reality in our lives as he increasingly becomes preeminent. Now, for those of you, how many of you are real sticklers about grammar and vocabulary? Some of you, okay. So when I say becomes increasingly preeminent, that's not accurate, right? You're either preeminent or not, but you know what I mean. As, he, as we increasingly see him as preeminent, make decisions that where he has that preeminence in our lives, all of these other things also come with that, all right? And so today, as we talk about Jesus, 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 and I'm gonna focus in on this, Three words, I chose the sermon title on purpose for that. Because we want to look at three different perspectives on Jesus. And so if we go to look at a perspective, put that up. We have all these different perspectives of my Bible, right? Okay, and you look at it from one place. You look at it from that upper left. The fact that it has little ribbons coming out is kind of giveaway, right? But if you didn't see that, it could look like a book. Okay, so we see that perspective. Down the left, we say, oh, wait a minute. It has... It says something on the side. Wow, it's this Holy Bible. And then we can see there's words in it. And then you get a little closer and look, you start to see the words. Go ahead and go to the next slide. And you realize that, wow, okay, there's words here we can read. And then we even focus further. He is the head of the body of the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. But the idea is we, when we see things from a different, if I look at this speaker from this perspective, it looks way. And I look at it from this perspective, it looks different, Okay. And which is it? Which perspective is right? Which one? 
all of them, right? But what we want to do is get a broad perspective to understand it. So that's what we want to do with Jesus today, who he is. And this is one of those things, by the way, when I started um, um, working on this sermon um, uh, probably a couple months ago, I mean, working on this series and think, oh, yeah, I'll have a sermon on Jesus. And, and, and I sat down and finally get to working on it this week and go, oh, no. This is a 10-week series <laughs> about Jesus. So we're going to uh, move through some stuff pretty quickly. But I think it'll help us to know. This is one of the things we need to set on our lives. Who is Jesus? And what does that mean in our lives? Okay? So we're going to look at it from three perspectives. One, we're going to look at it, the perspective of him as it's God and heaven and all that kind of stuff. Then we're going to look at the perspective of him in between God and heaven. In between uh, God and heaven. In between heaven and us. Okay? And then we're going to look at his, the perspective of him in our lives and what that means, okay? All right, so we start off. Jesus, the first Jesus. Jesus is God. John 1.1 1, 1 says what? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it doesn't say it, but the Word is God. And Jesus is the Word. The Bible identifies Jesus as the Word, okay? So he is God just as much as the Father is God, just as much as the Holy Spirit is God. We have one God that exists as three persons. We have three persons who exist as one God. We call it the doctrine of Trinity. But Jesus is God. He is fully God. When you think of God, that's Jesus. When you think of the Father, that's God, right? But it's the Jesus is God. And a little later in, in that same chapter, John says this. He says, and the word became flesh. That's us, right? Like a human. He became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is God. Don't forget that. Okay. Now, Jesus is, that means Jesus is holy, righteous, and just, doesn't it? See, there's a tendency to think of Jesus as a nice guy, a really nice fellow. Um, but he's God. <laughs> that means he's holy. Okay, that means he has no use for sin. Okay, he, he's never tempted to sin. He doesn't try to get us in sin is bad. Sin is contrary to who he is. Okay, he is holy, righteous, does what's right, always what's right, and he is just. That's justice we're talking about. Hebrews 7.26 says this. He is holy and blameless, unstained by sin, and set apart from sinners. That means he's very different than we are, isn't he? Because these descriptions aren't us by nature. He's very different than us. He's God, he's holy, he's righteous, just. And it, he's set apart from us. So there's this, this sense of separation. Well, wait a minute, we don't want to think about it that way, do we? But that is by nature. The way things naturally are, that is it. Okay? Uh, and then Jesus is judge. He is the judge. He is the one who is going to be the judge at the final uh, judgment there. Um, well, let's just look here. So in John 5, Jesus said, for the Father has committed all judgment to the Son. I'm the one who's, he's saying, I'm the one who's going to be making the judgment. And it is Jesus who was ordained. Go ahead. It was Jesus who was ordained to be judge of the living and the dead. 
Okay, he is going to be making those judgments. And then we get to Revelation chapter uh, 20, yeah, chapter 20, end of chapter 20, and we see a description of this great white throne and the one who's sitting on is Jesus. And it says, says that the people who were called this judgment wanted to be anywhere but there, but they couldn't escape it. These are fearful, fearful judge to stand before. I have been in court. Thankfully, I have not been in court for myself standing in judgment, but I've been in court with men who, ha- who were there and who stood there and the judge pronouncing sentence on them. And I, I guarantee you they wanted to be anywhere but there. It's a scary thing. And this is a perfect, holy, righteous judge. And, and Revelation says, and the dead were judged, each one according to his works. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's hard stuff. This is Jesus, this judge, who's going to make these kinds of decisions, these kinds of judgments. And so, Jesus is very different than us, but so this idea of preeminence, Jesus is preeminent as the perfect judge of all people. Okay? And so we kind of need to settle that. We need to understand that as we walk through this world that the people around us, those, especially those who do not know Jesus, are going to stand before him as to hit their judge. And let that sink in, because that ought to affect how we interact with the people in the world around us, okay? All right, so let's go to the second Jesus. Jesus and then the second Jesus. We want to think about Jesus between heaven and earth, between God and man. So Jesus loved us enough to give himself to save us. Okay, that's good news. This holy, righteous judge loved us enough to give himself for the penalty, to pay that penalty for us. We know John 3, 16, you can say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's right, okay? And then, uh, continue. It says, for you know, this is from 2 Corinthians chapter eight, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And he's not talking about money, right? He's talking about leaving the splendor, the glorious, sin-free heaven and becoming poor, coming down into our earth that's sin-scarred and hurt to take our uh, sins upon us so that we might be able to go to heaven and experience that. Uh, So it says in in, uh, Mark chapter 10, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, okay? So he came and provided a way for us to be saved. If we understand that we've sinned against the holy God and we're separated from him and our destiny is hell, but we'll believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is, like we're talking about today, and that he did die for our sins and rise again, we by faith can receive him as savior. We can say, oh God, that's me, I need a savior. I believe, I trust Jesus. And, and when he does, we do that, he forgives every sin, he gives us eternal life, and he moves in, moves into our lives. Now, the good news beyond this is that he not only saves us, he also secures our salvation. He keeps us saved. And we're holding on to him, but whether we hold on or not, he is, he is holding on. And uh, the Bible says, therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come uh, to God through him. 
Save to the uttermost. Where, how far is the uttermost? The uttermost means as far as you can go. Doesn't matter how far you've messed up. Doesn't matter what. He can save you and keep you saved. Okay, and then Jesus describing himself as a good shepherd and talking about his relationship with the Father says this. He says, I give them eternal life. Talking about his sheep, his people. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Neither shall anyone. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Okay, so who can snatch you away from Jesus? Can you snatch yourself away from Jesus? No, you can't. He's the one that's holding on to you. You ever held a little kid who decided they didn't want to be held? Now we're human, sometimes we give up and put them down. Right? God doesn't, he doesn't let go. Once we're his, we are his. And so we see that Jesus is preeminent in every aspect of our salvation. And so as we walk through life, we need, again, to have this consciousness about those things. He's our Savior. And by the way, if you haven't received Christ as Savior, you need to do that. What I was talking about, putting your faith in Jesus, you need to do that. Because uh, if not, you're on your own. And it's not going to end well. And so this is, you want to live every day, every moment with this consciousness that I need a Savior and I have one. Right? I need Jesus every moment, and he's there. This is not about good works, not about going to church, not about giving money, not about your status in life or what's your reputation. It's only about Jesus. And, and by the way, this, this only happens on his terms. You don't get saved on your terms. Remember, he's God. We talked about that part. He's the one who's holy, righteous, and just. He's the one who sets the standard. And so the only way we get saved is on his terms. We have to humble ourselves before him and Receive Christ as Savior. And then the Bible tells us that once we get saved, that we should live our lives the same way we got saved. Say what? Well, how'd you get saved? Well, you heard the truth. You understood, came to understand the truth, and you acted on it, didn't you? You humbled yourself before God and opened yourself up, received Christ. You, you Got the truth and then you responded to it. You acted on it. So how should you live your Christian life? What's true? Act upon it. What does God say? Act upon it. Okay? And so remember this idea of being saved. Let that govern how you live your whole life. Be grateful and be dependent. All right. So that's Jesus between God and man. And he brings us into relationship. Let's talk about the last of the three Jesus there. Jesus became like us. What if he hadn't? You realize that so much of what we think about God and understand about God is because Jesus came? You know what I mean? It's no longer God up there someplace. It's God here with us. The Old Testament prophesied about him and called him Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? Some of you know. What's it mean? God with us. That's right. Okay, so Jesus became like us. In the book of Hebrews, it says this, therefore it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us. How, every respect, except he's not sinful. But other than that, like human, every respect like us, his brothers and sisters. What an amazing thought. 
brothers and sisters him, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. So he became one of us for that purpose. A little later in Hebrews it says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Okay, good news. That's how come he could be our savior, right? But has he been tempted with the same kinds of temptations you've been tempted with? You know, sometimes I could doubt this because I think, well, there weren't any Oreos in Jesus' day. <laughs> but he was tempted with the same desires, kinds of desires that we are, right? The specifics would be different. But he was tempted the same way we are. He understands those temptations. And because they said, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So when we are hurting and struggling, we go to him because he knows, he understands. Don't you like to go to someone? In fact, I, I see it all the time. You know, when someone has a problem, if they find someone who understands, it's like, oh, you understand. I want you to know Jesus always understands. He's been, in fact, he faced temptation far worse than any of us ever have. The devil himself stood before Jesus, tempting him. And, and so, okay, so he understands us. Another thing that Jesus does is he stands up against bullies for us. Uh, in in the, um, the Gospels, we see this all the time, that there were these religious leaders who, who really weren't about God, but they used God, and they used God to... to to you know, strengthen their own position in society and to keep other people down. They used, and Jesus did not have nice words to say about them. He called them snakes. He called them, um, you, you guys are really graves full of dead men's bones and you painted the outside white to make it look nice. I mean, these are the kinds of things he said. He stood up to them. People who were trying to hurt his people, okay? And, and so we know the story of the woman caught in adultery, right? woman caught in adultery and these religious leaders bring her before Jesus and says, the Bible says, or they didn't say the Bible says, Moses says she ought to be stoned. What do you say? They're wanting to catch him, right? And, and Jesus doesn't, doesn't respond to them. He, he does some things there, but then he says this. Let's read it. So they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. And he doesn't do, he doesn't respond. And finally responds, he said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. Go ahead. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go, sin no more. So he isn't saying sin's okay, but I don't condemn you. And he stood up against the bullies for her, didn't he? I want you to know that when, if, if, if people take an opposition to you, the spirit world's taking opposition to you, I want you to know Jesus is going to stand up for you. Now, he, he may let you go through stuff, and he'll go through it with you. And he will make sure it, 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 he works it for good in your life. But he will stand up for us. Isn't that nice to know that someone will stand up for you? You ever feel, maybe feel like nobody will do that? He will, okay? All right, then Jesus loves us and accepts us unconditionally, as we just saw this. Uh, Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. 
Um, Jesus loves us and accepts us unconditionally. Now, I want you to understand, the word accepts does not equal approve. If we're doing well, he'll approve. If we aren't, he won't. But he accepts us. And I... I So here we are in life, right? And so Silas, I'm gonna pick on you here, okay? A little bit. But the idea is, if Silas, uh, you know, in our relationship, and, and, and we talk about a lot of stuff, we, do, we talk about Bible questions and some life, how's that all apply? We do that kind of stuff, right? But what if Silas all of a sudden just treats me terribly disrespectfully, makes fun of me in front of his peers, and whatever else, I don't know. And he, and, he, and he stole my car for half the day. Okay, that's going to be a problem. But the idea is, is I can still love him, right? And this is big because I didn't used to be able to do this, but I learned it from Jesus. I can still accept Silas, but I don't approve you taking my car. But you see what I mean? I can, I still can accept him. He's, he's still in my life. And that allows me to be able to, that's what the Lord does with us. He, he, he loves us, he accepts us unconditionally, but it doesn't mean he approves of everything in our lives. And when I finally got that, that it changed how I could talk to people. Because before I worried, well, if I act like everything's okay, they'll think it's nothing wrong. <laughs> well, it's not really my business anyway. I just need to accept them and without approving of everything in their lives, the same way Jesus does with us. And then Jesus is always with us. He's always with us. Uh, I am with you always. He himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And I want you to know that's significant. I'll tell you why. Because when Jesus hung on the cross, bearing your sin and my sin, somehow, how that worked? The father turned away. And Jesus hangs there and says, what? My God, my God, why have you what? Forsaken me. He was forsaken for us so that we will never have to be. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And then Jesus faithfully cares for us. Let, let, Psalm 23, we can go to John 10 and talk about this being shepherd, care for sheep, but Psalm 23 is, is the one we know. Let's just read this out loud together, okay? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He cares for us in very, very practical ways, both on the inside and the outside. And so, the next thing, that it just makes sense, but Jesus makes following him the best choice. It isn't come follow me, I know, look, it's not the best. <laughs> no, following him is the best. 
And he, he, he calls to us and he says, come to me. Anybody here find yourself laboring sometimes? Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Any burdens? Jesus says, come to me. And I will give you rest. I mean, the circumstances around you may not change, but I'm going to give you rest in the middle of all that stuff. Come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. That is significant because we, it's the idea of an animal and a yoke. When the animal puts the yoke on, the animal gives up, not that they're conscious of it, right? But they give up the right to self-determine where they're going. The yoke, you know, that's the... And so Jesus says, take my yoke on you. Let me determine where you go. Let me show you how to live. All the things we're talking about. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That sounds like a promise, doesn't it? You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This goes back to that idea that the best life now is a life lived surrender to Jesus. It is this. And so then we, we sum up this area of Jesus with us is that Jesus is preeminent when he becomes the exclamation point on our lives. And, and I thought through this and wrestled with it and I said, stop thinking through and wrestle. The idea is this, that if, if someone were to look at you and say, what is it about that guy? What is it about that lady? What, what is it about them? That whether they know the answer or not, what it is about you is Jesus. That's your life. And so we see Jesus, 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 these different perspectives. Jesus is preeminent. He is. And we need to learn to live like that's true, because it is. And so here's my challenge to you today. Here's what I want to leave you with. So put yourself under Jesus' yoke. You'll find rest and no regrets. Not even one. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Oh man, thank you, dear Lord Jesus, for these truths. We want to yield to you your rightful place in our lives. You are God. You are judge. You will, you will be the one who will evaluate our lives at the end of them. Lord, we, we want to take that seriously. And thank you so much that you came to save us. And I pray, Lord, for anybody here or watching, I pray they would open their hearts to you and receive Jesus as Savior. And if they need help, Lord, understand that they would reach out. Please stir their hearts to do that. And finally, Lord, help us to remember as we walk through life day in and day out, dear Lord Jesus, that you are there. And all of these things that we've seen today are true. Because we want to live lives that are honoring and pleasing to you and that brings your great blessing on us. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.